Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, Top News from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to The DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Wednesday, July 6th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is The DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, it's official. An EF1 tornado touched down in Bowie, Maryland Tuesday evening, according to the National Weather Service. But what does EF1 mean? And how should we think about tornado risks here at home? Meteorologist Howard Bernstein explains. When you take the weather for granted, hey, Mother Nature doesn't give a crap about you, right? right? And the tidal basin is sinking. Few factors have caused the iconic Washington, D.C. pool to sink about four feet. We talk with Mike Litterist of the National Park Service about what's being done to preserve the home of the cherry blossoms. We had to remove uh, 14 cherry trees from that area of the, the tidal basin because they were constantly being inundated with that water. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. A tornado dropped down into Bowie yesterday, ripping trees from the ground and dredging up heaps of sod. And there actually may have been more than one twister yesterday. Meteorologists are now out investigating the Southern Maryland region in places like Shadyside for evidence of other touchdowns. So what's up with all these tornadoes? It feels like we're seeing more and more severe weather these days. And I definitely don't remember hearing about these when I was growing up here, but maybe I missed it. Uh, To figure this out, we're bringing in meteorologist Howard Bernstein, who is also following more severe weather that's expected today in our area. Um, Howard, thanks for making the time for us on Zoom today. You got it. No problem. What Um, can I do for you? (laughs) Tell us what happened yesterday. I mean, what conditions made it so this tornado landed in Bowie and, and... Is that area specifically, I mean, prone to getting hit? I wouldn't say it's specifically prone to getting hit. Uh, Let me just go back to what you said on the intro, more tornadoes. We have more population. We've got more cameras on cell phones. So I don't know if they're more per se, but the ability to find more, to see more, to to document more, certainly is greater than it was decades ago. So that factors into it. As far as yesterday, you had a couple of things. Obviously, it was a hot, sticky day. And when you've got the heat and humidity, that's the fuel for storms. But you need more than that. You need uh, usually some sort of mid-level winds or turning called wind shear. Yesterday, we had obviously the heat and humidity, and yet just enough spin because there's a little warm front over toward the bay. So when this storm came out of Montgomery County, it was moving southeast. It hit Prince George's County, and boom, it had just enough, just enough to put out a little tornado. It was only a mile long. It was three minutes, right? Three minutes of terror for those folks who took cover and listened to the warnings. And thank goodness they did because there were no injuries, Mm. no fatalities. We had property damage. I know it's a hassle. I know it's scary, but property damage can be dealt with. Yeah. You you know, right. You can always replace a house. You can always replant a tree. It may take decades for it to come back again. No injuries, no fatalities. 
And Howard, can you put into context, you know, how strong these storms really are for some of us who aren't maybe as privy to weather and, you know, how dangerous are these things? Well, you know, 90 mile an hour winds, think about that. So that's like a, a, a category one, category two, two hurricane. The key is that when we have storms like this, and they can happen quickly, but the warnings were out from the weather service and, and it seems that people were paying attention. And, you know, when it hits in the middle of the afternoon, right? Mm -hmm. You've got people who are paying attention as opposed to the nighttime tornadoes when somebody might be asleep and not get a warning. So you don't need a tornado to get wind damage. But in the case yesterday, we had that uh, mile long, uh, 125 yards wide path of damage. And for a few neighborhoods in Bowie, uh, like a Somerset subdivision was one that was listed on seeing that had quite a bit of damage there. And it passed over the high school annex. They had damage in those regions. But it was kind of hit and miss. Um, this might be a naive question, but is it just the heat that gives us these the severe weather during the summer? Because and also, it's, it seems like it's happening midday or, or you know in the afternoon a lot. Well, that's the peak heating, so that's when you've got. I talked about the energy needed. So, so you've got this low level energy, the surface based energy. You've got the heat and the humidity, right? That's that's sort of the potential. When you get the spin, and sometimes it's enough. We're just having mid or upper level winds are enough because if you get strong winds aloft, that tends to create extra lift. Weather is three-dimensional, right? It's not just at the mm. ground. These storms that we're talking about in many cases are 30, 40, 50,000 feet tall. Right. right? So they're we're being talking, fed from different areas. We're talking six to 10 miles. And, you know, our, our world is what, 100 feet high, basically? If mm. that, most of where we live is 20, 50 feet around us, vertically talking. And we're talking five, 10 miles. So all of these things are much, much larger than most of us just are, are familiar with or can conceptualize. Mm -hmm. mm. And when talking about this region, you know, yesterday's tornado was in Bowie. Are any parts of this region more prone to tornadoes or is it really just, you know, what's happening up in the air that affects us down the ground? Well, I think Southern Maryland and closer to the Bay may have a slightly higher frequency because like with La Plata, I remember this distinctly. This storm was tracking across northern Virginia. It had one tornado warning, maybe one little brief touchdown, but it didn't really kick until it hit the Potomac River. So the storm hits the river. And you know the river in Charles County sort of has that southeasterly turn to St. Mary's? Mm -hmm. So let's say that can channel the wind. Now, instead of being from the south at 180 degrees, it's at 170 or 160. You ever play the game where you put the beans in the pot and the pot falls over? Megan's making a face at No, like, I've never played that you game, you Howard. Don't, you don't remember this? As a little kid, you had to put the beans in the pot, and, and eventually the one who put too many, the whole thing would spill. Well, well, turning the wind just 10 degrees might be just enough to get the storm to spin, just enough to get a tornado to drop, because while we have a rotating thunderstorm, and when, when you hear the term supercell thunderstorm, mm -hmm. just means it's rotating. And it's only about a quarter of the rotating thunderstorms actually produce tornadoes. So why is that? And we're still learning about these things, about which, which supercells are going to be tornadic and which aren't. And in the La Plata case, and, and this is why I moved towards Southern Maryland and areas by the bay, when you have these boundaries or sea breezes that'll kick in, you can get more spin at the lower levels and hence more potential for these supercells to actually drop tornadoes as mm. opposed to the supercells that don't. So I know it's kind of a long-winded question, but I do, I do think that Southern Maryland, maybe over toward the uh, the Bay, does seem to have a, a, a slightly higher frequency. I, I tried to do a little research on this. I didn't find anything definitive, but mm -hmm. uh, it just seems to be a little bit more in those areas. 
So speaking of summer heat, it's very sticky and humid outside today. Um, it, you know, it's July in D.C., so what can we expect? Shocker. But <laughs> there is a lot of severe weather at least teed up on um, what we can expect. Can you tell us, I mean, today and in the next few days, we have some things on our radar, yes? Yeah, so there's been this massive ridge in the mid and upper levels of the atmosphere bringing all sorts of heat down in the south, southwestern U.S. We've been relatively lucky here that we have not had any extended high heat so far for the spring and summer. Yeah, we've had a couple of days that have been hot, but we haven't had like seven, 10 days stretching. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's happening is on the, on the edge of that upper level ridge, you get these disturbances to ride along them. We're just on the edge. So we're getting these disturbances to ride along. And a couple of, couple of days ago, you had what, five, six inch rain totals in parts of Southern Montgomery County. So the atmosphere, if it all comes together, is capable of these tremendous tropical rains, even though they've been hit and missed. That day, I think National had like 0.13 and Dulles or at BWI, they had very little rain, but some areas you know, 10 miles away had five inches. Mm-hmm. And, and the concern is that there are going to be some bigger storms later this afternoon into the Thursday morning that a flood watch was issued by the National Weather Service for the region. Because if any of these storms get going, somebody could pick up a quick one, two, three inches or more of rainfall in a short period of time. And that's when we get flooding or flash flooding. And that's flash flooding can, you know, it happens so quickly, catches people off guard. That's what kills people. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a, a doomsday note to end on. <laughs> well, I, 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 well I, I don't want to be a doomsday of it, but, you know, when you take the weather for granted, hey, Mother Nature doesn't give a crap about you. Right. right? Mm. So if you don't give a crap about her, you know, bad yeah. things happen. It's definitely the time of year to pay attention as we have a lot going on this week and will likely the next few weeks. Howard Bernstein, meteorologist, who's joining us on WTOP as well this summer um, and joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys, and stay safe. And hopefully, you know, if you ever come across high water, I know it's a pain, but that's why they say turn around, don't drown. Find another route, right? It's always better to be late than to never get there at all. And after the break, we stick to the subject of climate and water. But instead of tornadoes, we talk about why the tidal basin has sunk three to four feet. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. It's an iconic and historic cornerstone of D.C.'s National Mall. It's the backdrop of the Jefferson Memorial and home to thousands of cherry blossom trees. But the beloved Tidal Basin is at risk. It's literally sinking. In 2019, the National Trust for Historic Preservation actually added the Tidal Basin to its list of America's 11 most endangered historic places. And there's a few good reasons for it. The seawall is falling into the mud it was built on 140 years ago, and the Potomac River is steadily rising. To tell us more about what's at stake for the Tidal Basin and what measures are being taken to protect it, we're joined by Mike Litterist from the National Park Service. He oversees the National Mall. 
So, Mike, the tidal basin has been sinking three to four feet since it was first constructed in the 1880s. Tell us about the history of the tidal basin and why this is happening. Thanks, Luke. The um, the tidal basin itself dates to the 1880s, and you know, long before it was uh, was the home to the to the Jefferson Memorial and the FDR Memorial that we know today. It was designed to help flush water from the Potomac River and out the Washington Channel. Mm. And it was originally constructed with with a walkway around it. Portions of that original walkway are, are still there. And the issue that we've found, as you mentioned, is it is settling at the same time that the levels of the tidal basin are rising. A lot of the walkway was rebuilt in the 1930s and 1940s as the Jefferson Memorial was being built. Um, and in the 75 years or so since that occurred, we know that the seawall has settled some three to four feet. It wasn't sunk to bedrock, which is is the problem, and just continues to, to settle into the, to the mud and the muck. At the same time, sea levels have risen approximately a, a, a foot. So we're dealing with water that's four feet higher now than when the portions of that seawall were originally constructed, again, 75 years or so ago. And if you've been down near the tidal basin, you may have seen sort of the results of that high water. We've seen a lot of flooding down there in recent years. Can you describe what that's doing um, to the tidal basin and the area around it, Mike? As we have this settling and sea level rise happening at the same time, there are areas of the tidal basin that are particularly vulnerable. Um, If you've ever walked the trail around the tidal basin, the area just to the west of the Jefferson Memorial has sunk and settled so much that twice a day, every day, the trail goes underwater when the high tide comes in. Mm. In the late 90s, we rerouted that trail to, to get it further back from the edge. Even that trail is now going underwater, not every day, twice a day, but, you know, a couple times a month um, as, uh, you know, if we get a particularly high tide or we've got a lot of rain. Um, so even the mitigation measures that we've taken um, are now are now starting to fail as well. And we see the same thing happening, for example, up around the FDR Memorial. If you're there at the wrong time of the day, your shoes are going to get wet or you're going to have to divert yourself uh, a little bit further inland. Mm. And what's at stake with these rising water levels? I mean, what's going to happen if it's not addressed? Well, if it's not addressed, obviously the the, the seawall itself will continue to, to to crumble. You know, you get that wave action against the seawalls all day, every day. That's undercutting the the structural integrity of of the walls. So, you know, there is infrastructure damage. There is a threat to public safety as they walk around, and it's also threatening the the environment as well. We had to remove uh, 14 cherry trees from that uh, area of the the tidal basin uh, just a few years ago because they were constantly being inundated with that uh, with that water. They're not designed to take on that much water. Mm-hmm. They're not designed to, to, to deal with the kind of brackish water that, that we get coming into the tidal basin. Um, and it's simply overwhelmed and they had to be removed. So now as you walk that area, it is a 100 to 200 yard area where there are no cherry trees, which, you know, is, a you know, if you walk the tidal basin at all, you know, the entire thing is ringed by cherry trees. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the National Park Service, though, is taking its steps toward addressing the flooding issue. We read a $5.7 million contract uh, is in place to start beginning this planning process. Can you tell us about that? We are thrilled that we are now taking the first steps to be what we think will be to address not only the the, the seawalls around the tidal basin, 
um, but the seawalls in West Potomac Park and the seawall that goes around East Potomac Park down to down to Haynes Point and back. Mm. We recently awarded a $5.7 million contract to start the planning process, the environmental compliance process, all the things you have to do in advance of actual construction um, that, that'll allow us to, to, to repair the seawalls. First phase of the project will be the, the particularly vulnerable areas in um, along the tidal basin and will address West Potomac Park from Arlington Memorial Bridge all the way into the into the tidal basin near the FDR Memorial. And we're talking about walls, Mike. I mean, what are we talking about? Building this up or what's the general idea? Well, that that's what the that's what the planning process is going to tell us. Okay. Uh, you know, I uh, you know, at, at this point, it's just, you know, conceptual that, that we're going to do the repairs, the process addressing under this contract. When that's finished, then we'll have the drawings that are going to tell us what it's going to look like, how they're going to mitigate this. I mean, we've got conceptual ideas. You know, it's going to have to be sustainable. You know, we, right. we don't just want to repair the damage that's there now. We want to make sure that 25, 50, 75 years from now, however they, they do the repair, it's going to make sure that you know we're not dealing with the with this same issue again. Um, and we we want to probably deal with you know some some of the the traffic flow issues. If you've ever been around the tidal basin during during peak bloom, you know those those paths that were constructed 75 years ago. There's a few more people down there now than there were in the in the 1930s and 40s. So we probably want to make sure that you know we address that as well. You know again public health and safety um, for for the folks that are going to walk that that path over the next. 50, 7,500 years. Mm. And for the big question, the timeline. So when do we think that this construction will start? And once it does, what will the public's relationship with the Tidal Basin be when construction is underway? So right now, we the only thing we have funded is the planning process. Um, so the actual construction money is in the president's fiscal year 2023 budget. So we are hopeful that, uh, that, that when the budget process is finished for, for next year, there is a about $120 million that would fund the actual construction. So provided that the construction money gets approved and that the planning process goes as scheduled, we could see construction beginning as early as late next year. Mike Litterist from the National Park Service. Mike, thank you for taking the time to explain this whole situation to us. And hopefully, you know, things will get fixed here pretty soon. Anytime. All right. And before we go... We wanted to update you on the situation that is <laughs> Luke's upcoming trip to Europe. Yes. And the fact that he does not know how to drive a stick shift, but has rented a stick shift car. Luke, take it away. What's our update? Right. So, you know, a few weeks back, I reserved a car to drive around Europe in, and it was so expensive. So I was like, I need to find a manual car because it's way cheaper. Yeah. But I don't know how. Um, and people were literally concerned. I've gotten <laughs> calls, texts, like friends of friends have come up to me and been like, Luke, you know, we really like you. We don't want you to get stranded. Yeah, I had a friend who said that the, in the, Europe. the reverse is different. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a different it's a different way to drive. Anyway, so? so I pick a day on my weekend and I wake up at 6 a.m. and uh, I uh, get in a stick shift car and I learn. So I go to a parking lot and I start it. That's the hardest part, starting a car from, you know. Neutral, basically. I love it. You're literally learning how to drive. And yeah, six yeah. in the morning, that's quite a commitment. Well, it's because there are less drivers out there. And, you know, I'm, you know, don't want to like stall out in front of an intersection, something like that. But I've actually made it to the road now. I've graduated from the parking lot onto the road, made it to the freeway. Um, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm getting there. I don't know if I'm totally ready for the packed 
roads of Europe, but I'm getting there. Have I you think... gotten on the highway at all yet, or is it? Yeah, 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 495. Okay, yeah. Okay. But the thing is, like, when you're driving a stick shift, once you're at speed, I mean, you're just you're just changing. I mean, it is not that big of a deal. It's really from like zero to like 10 miles per hour. That's where you can really, you know, install, yeah. which I've done. Um, but now it's smoother. We're getting there, and uh, there's hope, people. Don't worry. I've I've uh, I've taken care of it. All right. We were a little worried there for a second, um, and that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. Follow us on social media, where we post content every day. And there's also a survey going around where uh, we're asking listeners, you know, to tell us how we're doing. You can find that on our social media as well. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.